In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. With the advent of new technologies, with democracies springing up around the world, advances, big advances in medicine and science, the late 19th century saw a flourish of abundant optimism. People believed that they were on the way up. All that was needed was better housing, better education, better social reform, and happiness and goodwill would be right around the corner. This was a new era of better navigation, faster travel, new possibilities of people finally feeling the urge to explore new places because, after all, the world was getting so much better. And so by the early part of the 20th century, people felt their optimism was literally boundless. And in March 1909, in Belfast... Construction started on one of the biggest, fastest, most impressive passenger ships ever, the Titanic. She set her maiden voyage on April 10th, 1912, attempting to cross the Atlantic in record time. We know how this ended. The Titanic sank and over 1,500 people died. Just two years later, the entire world was plunged into the First Great War, a conflict involving many cultures, many peoples, many societies, of which many claimed to be Christian. The first time, too, that chemical weapons were deployed, that aircraft were used by the military in war. All in all, over 9 million combatants and 7 million civilians died. The optimism of the late 19th century was clearly over. Our current times aren't that much different. Conflicts erupt. Bombs are dropped. The Middle East again is once in, again in turmoil. As an aside to this, after the sermon, we'll have a collection today. And the collection following the sermon is being gathered to be supportive of the work of the Episcopal Church in the Diocese of Jerusalem, with its networks of churches, schools, and hospitals that serve people from all cultures, religions, and backgrounds. And so I ask you to please give generously. Our our current times, though, are not that much different. Do we still believe that better housing, better education, better social reform will lead to happiness and goodwill right around the corner? Sadly, I think sometimes we do. But this optimism of conceiving of our life in this world gets shattered over and over and over again we are indeed in need of a savior. Imagine 1900 years earlier, the disciples, that ragtag bunch of people who were followers of Jesus around the Sea of Galilee, and now they're all gathered in their holy city of Jerusalem. 
Imagine the people who had placed their hopes on Jesus, their mentor, their teacher, their master, their Lord, who has now been crucified. Wasn't he supposed to usher in a new age, the kingdom of God? Wasn't his reign as Messiah to be for all time? If their fear and terror didn't paralyze them completely, their sense of optimism was certainly destroyed. Their sadness of the events that took place have been shared with us through the ages. Jesus died. The mystery of all these events still baffle many Christians, most Christians. The sheer magnitude of what we remember today, the one who is fully human and fully God, has been destroyed today by human beings. The one who was without sin and full of love for everybody, this Jesus has been lifted high in an old quarry in a trash dump outside the city of Jerusalem. Away from respectability, away from any sense of holiness, with his own life taken away, by other human beings. The one who loved perfectly, the one who loved God himself and all humanity perfectly in every way, Jesus lived his life in such a way that he was always connected to God. He prayed unceasingly. He says over and over, I and the Father are one. His ability, his unique ability to immerse himself fully in the divine presence was unlike anything or anyone who has ever lived. He was the word of God, as John writes in his first chapter. The word of God that came into the world so that all might be called children of God. This Jesus came to draw all human beings to himself so that God and humankind could be reconciled as one. But there was a problem with this task. God had a problem that wasn't entirely easy to solve at all. Through the reading of countless stories of human beings' interactions with God's divine presence, we see this in Scripture over and over again. God's presence was simply too holy to engage directly with humans. Our ability to see God in our midst was shielded by our disconnection from divine things. This disconnection is often known as sin. Our desire to choose things for ourselves instead of choosing things for God's glory clouded our perceptions. The stories from Scripture tell us over and over again that anyone who tried to look on God either was forced to look away in fear or was somehow overcome by God's majesty or even worse, died trying. This was a problem for God. A God who desired more than anything else to be at one and united with human beings. 
had to experience us. God had to experience us, had to experience being human for himself, living and dying, because in that, the ability for God to interact fully with human beings, to interact fully and show us what real selfless love really looks like, has to come from God, not from us. Has to come from God through Jesus' dying on the cross. Let's take a step back. A significant time before his crucifixion, Jesus is with his disciples at Caesarea Philippi, and he asks the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter gets it right and acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah, the son of the living God. But immediately, every single one of these stories tells us, immediately Jesus sets his face on Jerusalem. He goes head on into the lion's den, into the conflict, goes straight from that high mountain to Jerusalem to his arrest, his conviction, and his death. Every account has Jesus going deliberately to the cross. He goes there on purpose. There was something he knew about himself that he had to experience, that he had to do for the sake of us, that he had to take on to unite the full presence of God with the complete family of God, all of God's creation. He probably could have passed through the crowds unseen, There's so many stories in the Bible about Jesus escaping crowds. He probably could have somehow went about his life in another way. But he didn't. He went to the cross full speed ahead to his death. By bringing Jesus to the world, born as a human being, God plunged the very presence of God into the world to live fully, to show us how to love, and then to die as a human being in the most disgraceful, hurtful, tragic, and shameful way possible, so that God would really be able to align God's self with all the lives that we lead God had to remove the separation. God had to do away with the separateness and the fear human beings experienced about God. God himself had to show us how to love and tell the end in the worst way. So that the sinless one, the man with no separation from the divine, so that the sinless one, as St. Paul writes, could take on our sin. God had to find a way for Jesus to be separated in some way from God in the way human beings often feel separated from God for at least one split second to be able to fully align us with God and one another. Many versions of the passion narrative quote Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? as his recognition that his life would soon end, as a validation of his separation that he felt from God. John uses the words, I am thirsty. And Jesus is not given water, 
a symbol of life, but instead vinegar, sour, bitter wine to drink instead. And after that moment, Jesus sees that his work of love, uniting God to all of God's creation, is complete. He boldly proclaims, it is finished, and he dies. As Anglican theologian Richard Hooker, in his famous 1585 Good Friday sermon, said, Let it be accounted folly or frenzy or fury or whatsoever. It is our wisdom and our comfort. We care for no knowledge in the world but this, that God himself, God has made himself the sin of human beings and that human beings are made the righteousness of God. This is what we commemorate today. The nature of God so self-giving with such a great desire to fully align the divine with human beings to unseparate the separated ones that God makes his very self the disgraced one, the one whom the ugliness of the world is cast upon and instead blesses us and calls us righteous. This is the great feat of the cross of Jesus Christ. This is why when people say, Christ died for your sins, they mean that his death gave us the ability to receive every shred of love and forgiveness and blessing from God that we can receive. Even though the story tells us that human beings destroyed Jesus' body in the most cruel and inhuman way possible. This emptying love, this abundant and ever-present love for us, is God's very nature. Yes, it is a great mystery. And yes, this boldness of God's actions today does truly overwhelm me and cause me to tremble. Because a love like this, even when we stumble and fall, places us back on a firm path. Because a love like this lasts until the end and beyond the end because we learn soon that there is something beyond death. Because a love like this isn't known to me or to you except by knowing Jesus and what he has done through his death for the life of the world. Today, God made himself the sin of human beings. And human beings have been made the righteousness of God. This extraordinary feat in which we are the ones blessed and redeemed because God put his very presence in human form in the midst of us to no longer keep us separate, but instead to make us all one. Thank God for today. It is truly a very good Friday.